Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful Saturday morning here in Colorado. Isn't it gorgeous out? Now, we probably will get a little weather this afternoon. You know that, don't you? We're... uh, uh, some places got hit pretty good yesterday, uh, down where my daughter lives in Castle Rock. I'll be talking to her later. But overall, it's going to be nice, and it's going to dry out. We're even going to get rid of some of these uh, afternoon storms over the next few days, and there's always a chance, but it looks good. Speaking of those, we've got a bunch of stuff. We'll talk more later in the show. With all the people getting outdoors, we're going to be talking more safety and lightning is one of the big uh, safety concerns here in Colorado. We're going to be setting up some guests to cover that in the near future. You know, we did a survival course not too long ago, and we're going to talk a lot about water safety today with the 4th of July coming up. Also going to give you some great fishing tips to get out, and hopefully you can start enjoying the holiday weekend early. And it's not too early to start scouting and getting getting your uh, firearms ready for hunting. So we're going to cover that and so much more. But right now, Let's go right to the phone. And joining us, he's a Hall of Fame angler. He's the host of Lake Commandos Television. He's a very accomplished fisherman and a friend of mine, Steve Panaz. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Terry. It's beautiful here as well. You know, you may be a Hall of Fame angler. You know, they were going to induct me into the Hall of Fame until they found out I only caught one fish. But it was in a tournament in 1972, so I thought that should count. But <laughs> they told me I have to catch one more. <laughs> you know, all, 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 all kidding aside, we've got a lot of people either going, a lot of people are getting outside with this COVID thing. And a lot of people are returning to the outdoors, doing things like fishing that they haven't done for years or maybe since they were kids. And a lot of new people. And I thought, you know, with your experience, I wanted to get you on and get some tips for these people who are going out there. They either haven't fished for their ever, forever or they're just starting. Maybe you can give us a few pointers on how they can get started. Yeah, the great thing about fishing is you don't really need uh, expensive gear to go out and have fun and be successful. And, and I remember as a kid walking down railroad tracks looking for nuts that I could use for sinkers so I could throw the old baitcasters out. And, and, and fish for carp and other species like that. But, you know, there's there's a, a couple things. One, uh, line is a big choice nowadays, and, and uh, the best mono, uh, the best line for starting right now is mono. It's very inexpensive. Uh, you can fill a reel for a couple bucks, and it, it performs well and things like that. Spinning rods or, or, or spin cast rods are easier for a lot of the beginners to cast because uh, it, you don't have to control the back, the, the spool speed of a bait caster. So you can cast it. It's more fun for kids. And, you know, it's, uh, and then in terms of fishing, there's some great fishing right from shore all across the country, uh, but in Colorado as well. Uh, rivers are great. Reservoirs are great. Natural lakes and ponds are all great as well. And we'll cover a lot of that both during this segment and during the show. But let's go back to, let's start out with the rods and reels again. Um, you don't have to, you know, you, if you look at the magazines and you'll see all these ads for these $400 rods and reels, and you and I are very privileged. We're very lucky. We get a lot of equipment from our sponsors, both to test and to promote on our shows. 
But, you know, you can kind of evaluate what you want to do. Do you want to buy uh, a less expensive piece of equipment that maybe will last you a year or two, but you can get started? Or you can spend a little more and get something that nowadays will last you for years. Give us a few examples maybe of some of the rods, reels, types that you might suggest for a beginner. He's walking into the tackle store. Um, he's walking into Jack's Outdoors here. They're a local tackle store. And he needs to get yep. – he's taking his family fishing uh, he's got some younger kids, and maybe he's an adult. Where where does he start? You know, one of the mistakes I think a lot of people do when they start off with kids' fishing gear is they buy the little tiny rods and reels. They're almost like ice fishing size, and those are actually very hard to cast, very hard to control. They're cute, but in a, in a, in a pure fishing sense, they can be frustrating with poor drags. I would start uh, a beginning angler off with a, a five-and-a-half to six-foot rod, um, I, I would not spend much, you know, 35 to $50 will buy you some quality gear from companies like Berkeley or Shakespeare, uh, maybe even Pfluger nowadays and, and, and then get a, a, a good matching reel. The longer rod, it makes it easier to cast better. Uh, you can fight fish a little bit. It gives you more control. You want a medium to light action for you know, some of the smaller fish like bluegills and things like that. I'm a really uh, a big fan of spinning reels. You flip the bail, you grab the line with your finger, and you throw it out, and you can make good casts quickly. Uh, Push-button reels or the spin cast are also great options, especially for beginners and fishing for smaller fish like, uh, you know, bluegills or some smaller trout and things like that. And then, uh, you know, it's just – basics see uh, a, a bobber a hook and a sinker and uh something like a can of corn or, or worms or any of that kind of stuff really do work really well well you know you're absolutely right too you know you get that you can get a fishing combo rod nowadays that starts at twenty dollars you can get one that's really nice for thirty or thirty five dollars and you mentioned fluger you can get the fluger president and a nice fenwick rod for about a hundred and ten hundred and twenty dollars and i would be i'd fish a tournament with those rods the fluger one so you've got lots of choices but when you get out there yeah you don't need you don't need just gobs and gobs of tackle what i suggest to people is find out where you're going to go on your first trip and talk to the guy at the tackle store because taking too much tackle thinking you need every lure in the box I think that gets worse than not having just the right stuff for that day, don't you? I agree. I think uh, what's interesting on Lake Mano is I I have uh, two patterns that we fish during the day. And a lot of the bass pros, when you watch the tournament circuits, they've got 17 or 18 rods on the deck. They've got it loaded with everything up front so they can make switches uh, quickly. But I think for weekend anglers and anybody that's just trying to learn the sport, I think you're better off going out with just a few lures and really trying to learn how to use those. Most presentations are very effective, uh, you know, in a, much more effective than I think a lot of people give them credit for. But it's still hard to beat live bait in a lot of situations or some of the scented soft plastics, Berkeley power bait gulp, that kind of stuff has been just game changers for a lot of anglers. Well, you mentioned one thing that's always been near and dear to my heart, and that was a bobber. I mean, I think most of us that grew up in Minnesota, of course, Karen says I didn't grow up. She says I just got older. But um, those of us that had our younger lives in Minnesota probably have memories of a red and white bobber when we started fishing. And if more people, even advanced fishermen, if more people at all levels of fishing would use a bobber, I think they they would all catch more fish. It's just a great way 
for uh, anybody to keep that bait or that presentation in the strike zone. Yeah, and for, for beginning anglers, it makes it easier to cast. Uh, it's a little bit heavier weight and, and, and things. But, you know, Terry, it's funny. I just a couple of weeks ago, I was on uh, Lake Mille Lacs in Minnesota here and, and uh, threw out a bobber and a leech. And uh, it, it is still exciting to watch that bobber go under. It just it just is. And uh, oh, I think that's a memory that uh, every every angler should experience at least <laughs> sometime in their life. Oh, yeah. And you know what? You can't watch that bobber with a little bit of waves, and you swear it's starting to go under even when it's not. I mean, you watch it long enough, and it's mesmerizing. And when it does go under, it's just tremendous. You know, another aspect you brought up is you can fish from shore or a boat almost anywhere you live. A lot of, I truly believe that a lot of beginning anglers will do much better fishing from shore because. When you're fishing from a boat, unless you're just anchored somewhere, you have so many more things to worry about. Boat control, you know, are you, you know, making a cast without, if it's a small boat, do you have room? Where if you can find a nice place by shore, you have such a controlled environment. As long as it's in an area where there's potentially fish available to you, I think a lot of people have more success from shore. There's locations on shore. Uh, a lot of fishing piers are placed by the state uh, or or local organizations uh, in good fishing spots. Uh, I like little neck down areas. If there's a bridge that crosses a, a stream or a, a portion of a lake, those can be good. Those little neck down areas. But you know, especially when you're fishing rivers, some of the best fishing in the river is actually uptight to shore. So being bound to shore it really isn't that uh much of a handicap because you can walk up and down the shore and the fish are right in front of you so if you if you do want to start fishing really look at rivers as uh as an opportunity that uh, are easy to fish uh especially from shore yeah and i think another good piece of advice if you're taking young kids fishing depending on their age if they're really really young uh Take them fishing. Don't take your fishing gear. If they're older and capable of handling the gear, then uh, go after a species or an area where you think you might get some more action. Uh, That could be bluegills or crappies, or in Colorado, it could be stock trout, too. Um, But try to find a place where even if the fish aren't giants, they're getting something happening. I think that's really a key. I agree. They want action. And uh, I tell you what, a quarter-pound bluegill is a trophy fish and just seeing how excited kids can get at uh, catching any fish it's a reminder of what really got me started years back no i think all of us all of us have been there for those things um you know i I still to this day we have little ponds all over colorado i'll go to those ponds and i say i'm going bass fishing but i always take a lighter rod with me and i just put a bobber down about two feet and sometimes just a little piece of gulp on an unweighted hook or a, it could be a night crawler and cast it out a lot of times. And if I find the panfish are biting, I forget I came there to bass fish. <laughs> you know, it was interesting. Uh, our, our our neighbors uh, have uh, four kids, and they were out on a pontoon last night throwing plastic worms for bass. And just seeing these kids from age 6 to 12 having so much fun and just laughing and joking. And, you know, they, they – I went by them and I said, "How you guys doing?" We said, "We caught a bluegill, we caught a bass, and we caught a rock bass," and they were they were thrilled. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I want to circle back because I don't know if we spent enough time on fishing line, and I know you used to do a segment on a previous television show where you went through all the knots and the strength. 
And then uh, you've yeah. been a, you know, you've been involved with pure fishing as I have over the years. And we've had the, the advantage of testing and fishing with multiple lines. And as an advanced angler, I think a lot of us have moved on to uh, the super lines, maybe with a leader on them and uh, or to fluorocarbon. And they all have a place, and they're great to fish with. But you mentioned mono being inexpensive and easy, and it really is something. So the beginning angler, I mean, there were for years that's all we had. And it works well. It's forgiving. And most inexpensive combos are going to come with mono. But I'm like you. I'm a firm believer if you're going to buy that little better set, start with mono. There's just so many advantages, aren't there? Yeah, monofilament offers three real key factors one it's very manageable it doesn't uh kink or anything like that it's got great knot strength it, it it's it's a flexible line uh so it, it 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 really flows through your your guides really well uh it's really been developed over a period of decades to the point where it's an, ex- it's an exceptional line and the other thing is it's got superb knot strength strength and it works with most of the knots that anglers know one of the challenges with some of the super lines is there are knots that simply do not work with it. They'll, they'll slip out. Uh, the fact that it's, uh, you know, so strong but it has no stretch means that a lot of times you're going to lose fish that uh, you might not lose on a line that has a little more stretch like mono. Mono is typically stretched somewhere in that 25 to 28, 29%, which is actually a built-in shock absorber for keeping fish hooked. Uh, and you know, I looked at uh, I looked online this morning for some line, and, and a spool of uh, 330 yards of trilene was like, like eight bucks, and that, that's enough to fill uh, two, three, maybe even four reels, depending on the size. So you're really talking about maybe two, three dollars to fill up your reel with mono, and uh, and that makes it an, except, an exceptional bargain. So it's a great choice for a lot of things, but especially for beginners. Well, I also think you mentioned the cost, and because it is inexpensive, the one tip I would give to people who use mono is don't be afraid to switch it out. It will, the sun and the water will affect it, and especially if it's been on there last year, try to start out with new line on your rod and reel. It really does make a difference. Hey, Steve, we're going to run out of time here, but why don't you take just a few seconds, tell people what Lake Commandos TV is about and where they can watch it. No, Terry, thank you. Uh, Lake Commandos, what we do is we hit new bodies of water or, or lakes that we haven't fished in, in a long time, and we hit them blind. I mean, we just pull up to a body of water and try to figure out the lake or the river based on what we're seeing. So time of year, uh, weather conditions, uh, you know, the species available, the species that we're targeting. And, and, and usually my guest and I will then fish uh, his pattern or her pattern and then my pattern. And we really try to figure out what really is making those fish tick this day. So uh, two weeks ago, I had Chris Grow, a Bassmaster Elite Pro. We were on a body of water in northern Minnesota. We, we hit that lake only because it was the only place that we could find that wasn't getting hammered by thunderstorms in the area. And we pulled up, and we found a lake to be very shallow. I went with swim jigs, and we fished up against some of the uh, – uh, bull rushes and things and got fish and he went to a, a chopo it's a topwater rear propeller because it, the lake had massive flats and uh, what we found is that uh, both presentations worked extremely well but it was more fun fishing the topwater because the, the strikes were so explosive but 
really what we try to do is uh, break fishing down into its core elements. And, and it's really about pattern building. How do you make decisions based on what you're learning on the water? And, you know, we're going into our 10th season now and uh, it's been a lot of fun producing it, but I, I have to admit every morning I wake up on a new body of water, I look out there and say, am I uh, smart enough to figure this one out? And, you know, most of the times we are, but uh, there's a couple times this year we just haven't. And, uh, and uh, we share that all with the viewers. All right. And where can they find it? We're on uh, Sportsman's Channel Q1 and Q2, uh, which that season's just ending, and we're moving over to World Fishing Network for Q3 and Q4. And then there's past episodes available on MyOutdoorTV.com. It's a digital distribution uh, system that's run by OSG. Um, so, it's uh, yeah, it's available. In fact, all of our seasons back to season one are available, and uh it's been popular for uh, viewers to go back because it does really help build patterns. All right, my friend, we are way out of time, and we're going to talk some water safety coming up here, so I have to let you go. But as always, great visiting with you. Thank you so much, Sherry, and thanks to the viewers. All right, thank you. Steve Panaz, uh, great. Try to catch his stuff, uh, Lake Commandos. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, 65 years of serving the outdoor public and now a partner of the show and just a great place to pick up those last-minute outdoor items on the way to uh, your weekend here. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us uh, from Colorado Parks and Wildlife to talk about boating safety is Jim Hawkins. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Good morning. I hope you were patiently waiting. I thought Steve had some really good information, but I want to make sure we spend plenty of time on this. You know, Jim, Steve and I were talking about all the new people getting out fishing, and they're not just fishing. They're getting out boating. They're getting out paddle boarding. They're getting out to the lakes and swimming. And unfortunately, we've had a rash of uh, some bad experiences over the last couple of weeks. And we want to kind of talk to people about how maybe to not to avoid a tragedy because the water is great recreation, but you do have to be conscious and play it safe. I know one of the first things you want to talk about is a program coming up uh, that's nationwide called Dry Water. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Operation Dry Water is a national campaign uh, addressing boating under the influence, also known as BUI. Um, It'll be taking place July 3rd through the 5th, uh, pretty much over the 4th of July weekend. Uh, obviously, that holiday is known not only for the increased numbers of recreational boaters on the water, but also for an increased number of injuries and deadly accidents related to boating under the influence. So, you know, during this campaign, Colorado Parks and Wildlife and uh, other local and county law enforcement agencies and, uh, you know, our recreational boating partners um, are gearing up to help raise awareness and prevent tra- tragedies related to boating under the influence over the next couple of days. Now, not only is it not a good thing to try to operate a watercraft while you're intoxicated, it's illegal, isn't it? It is. Uh, BUI is just like DUI. Uh, It does have a limit, which is .08. And the sad thing about that is all these incidents and fatalities are a result of, you know, the fatalities uh, are 100% preventable if people just choose to boat sober. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, 
Fourth of July, there's going to be people partying, especially on shore and things. Just be so conscious of what you're doing and especially the person operating the boat, but people in the boat too. And with recent changes in the law, um, what's um, defined as a vessel has changed. So it isn't just a big motorboat that you can get in trouble for operating while you're intoxicated, is it? That's correct. Uh, all of our paddle craft, so paddle boards, canoes, kayaks, sailboats, and motorboats are now encompassed underneath the BUI law. So if you go out in a kayak or a paddle board and you're intoxicated, you're you're susceptible to getting the same fine as a guy operating a motorboat because you're in a dangerous situation. On the water, you not only can put yourself in danger, but the people around you. I mean, there's vessels going with no brakes. Uh, you know, there's inexperience and new operators out there, and it takes uh, a lot of cooperation. I, I want to move on and talk about some other safety things too, but before I do, I want to kind of set the scene is we've got a lot of new people getting outdoors. And they don't necessarily recreate the same way that maybe some of the traditional people. You know, the explosion of paddle boards, the explosion of uh, people kayaking. Maybe they don't want to invest in a boat or they want to get out in uh, uh, just maybe smaller bodies of water. Or people that are buying new big boats and haven't had experience running them. We're getting all these people out there. And then we're getting the people that have been out there for years and First of all, people have to understand that everybody, no one's out there with a nefarious agenda. Everybody's out there to have fun. And so we got to start looking around and cooperate. We have limited surface water in Colorado. But we also have to understand how to interact and what the required safety requirements are, don't we? Yeah. And, you know, the biggest thing is, especially for all these new people, you know, anybody walking to Cabela's or Walmart, you look at the sporting goods section and all the canoes and kayaks and paddle boards are, you know, pretty much sold off the shelves. You, it's very difficult to find any. Uh, the biggest thing is always wear your life jacket. Uh, accidents happen very quickly. Um, and unfortunately, you know, over the last two weekends, uh, there have actually been a total of eight drownings statewide. Um, and a lot of, you know, these fatalities could have been avoided by wearing a life jacket. So we are really encouraging people to wear life jackets. Uh, I see a lot of people uh, on new paddle boards that have the bungee straps in the front, and they're just bungeeing uh, their life jacket to the front of it. Uh, the thing is, if they do get separated uh, from their paddle board, for example, or wind comes up, that paddle board can actually be pushed away from them. Uh, and it's just nice to have your life jacket on you. They make convenient uh, life jackets now that strap around your waist. Uh, and if you do fall in the water, you know, you put it over your head and it inflates. Uh, so they're making a lot of uh, great movement towards life jackets that are comfortable. So always wear your life jacket. For our smaller paddle craft, like our canoes, kayaks, also have a sound-producing device. And then if you're fishing at night, make sure that you have a headlamp or flashlight that can see can be seen from a distance. Um, you know, now, if you're having more uh, larger boats that are over 16 feet, you know, make sure that you uh, have a Type 4 throwable uh, fire extinguisher and all that stuff. But just make sure that you wear your life jacket. It's super important. Yeah, well, I think having all the right gear. And then the law itself, I believe it's if you're 13 and over, you have to have a life jacket on the craft. The law doesn't say you have to wear it, but we strongly recommend that you do. And if you're under 13, by law, you have to have a personal flotation device on at all times, right? That is correct, yes. And, you know, folks, it's just, 
I can tell you, I was talking to Jim earlier in the week, and I related a personal experience where I dumped my kayak, and that's the only time I've ever fallen out of a boat. And I was wearing inflatable suspenders, and I went down in about 10 feet of water, fully clothed, and I'd like to think in my head that I would have recovered and gotten up. When I looked up, I could see the surface. It was ways up there, and then all of a sudden my my life jacket inflated, and I came up like a bobber. Um, I can't tell you, Jim, that I would or would not have survived that without my personal flotation device. Right. And, you know, talking to a lot of people, you know, they share the exact same story that you had. Uh, The accident occurred very quickly. Uh, They didn't have enough time to grab their life jacket that they had stored away and that they wish they would have had it. One other thing I want to talk about, and uh, that's the paddle craft we're seeing out there. And I own two kayaks. Um, we, we think the world of paddle boarding, um, but there's a lot of new people that are out there. And when you first saw them coming out, they were staying close to shore. Um, but now they're getting all over the lake, and there's a few things. I want to talk in a minute about how they interact with other craft. But right now, in Colorado's lakes, first, your, our mountain lakes are still cold. If you fall in, you're not going to be able to swim very far. And if you get out away from the shore, the wind can just grab you so quickly. It can get dangerous in a hurry, can't it? Yeah, it can. And we encourage a lot of our paddleboarders to stay near shore, uh, especially, you know, everybody that's lived in Colorado knows that it can be snowing one minute and then it could be sunny and 70 the next. Uh, so just make sure that you're cognizant about where you are on a paddleboard, you know, how close you're going to shore. You know, also we talk about you know, other large vessels, motorboats, and, uh, you know, they are putting out wake. So if you are brand new to paddle boarding, you know, keeping your balance and stuff may be difficult. So just being next to shore and adding that extra element of safety, I think, is a great idea. Well, I know if I was a paddleboarder, of course, I'm getting old. I don't want to swim very far, even if I have a life jacket on. But um, I'd want to be close to shore, and I'd probably want to be in a lake that had warmer water. Some of our mountain lakes are still only like in the 50s. You're not going to go very far if you fall in the water, even with a life jacket. But at least a life jacket will give you a chance in that kind of water because hypothermia sets in so quickly, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Now, the last point I'd like to make, too, is interaction with other people. You know, we're going to get wakeboarders and jet skiers and paddleboarders and kayakers and fishermen and just people out uh, just enjoying a boat ride. And people have got to learn to understand there are rules about how close and how you interact with other craft. And we don't have time to go through all those. But where can people find that out? Because they really need to understand that. So you can go to Cardo Parks Wildlife, go to our website. We do have a boating section, and you can find all of our rules and recommendations. But a really good idea, and what is the law, is that you need to stay 150 feet from other vessels, uh, you know, specifically that are engaged in fishing or, uh, you know, skiing or something like that. So just make sure, keep in mind that you're 150 feet from any other vessel. And then, of course, we want to go back to Operation Dry Water before we let you go. And you never should... Uh, operate any type of water vessel intoxicated, but there's a national programming coming up to bring awareness to it. We hope everybody has a great, great uh, rest of the summer, especially the 4th of July, but let's avert some tragedy. Jim, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank, Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. As always, great resource, Jim Hawkins from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoor, which is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor. Um, Just Still growing up and still having fun.
Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors. There are five locations of Jack's Outdoors up and down the Front Range, Cheyenne, Loveland, Fort Collins, Broomfield, Lafayette, and uh, they also have their uh, their farm stores. So give them a check. Uh, check them out. If you're headed somewhere today, stop in. They have everything you need for your outdoor weekend. Let's go right to the phones now. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Bradley um Boilo, and he's going to talk to us about a program that uh, we've covered before, but it's been quite a while. But it's really interesting and something that maybe you want to talk to your school about getting involved in. And it's a scientific program that not only provides a ton of data, but also a ton of education. Good morning, Bradley. How's it going, Terry? Hey, thanks for patiently waiting. I thought uh, the stuff Jim was covering on boating safety needed plenty of time, but we'll spend time on this, too. It, uh, it's important when you're going to be out there. But this is an interesting program. Uh, what's the name of the program? The name of the program is Colorado River Watch. But, yeah, I just quickly wanted to add thank you for and Jim for talking about that important topic. I, I enjoyed listening to that. But, yeah, it's Colorado River Watch. Um, it's in partnership with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and it's been around for 30 years. We're celebrating our 30-year anniversary. Yeah, it's just awesome. And, you know, I used to joke because we've had the green movements of late and stuff, and I used to say, you know, the original conservationist was the outdoor public, the hunter, the fisherman, the hiker, the bird watcher. And I used to say, well, thank you to the green movement for coming on board. This really kind of echoes that because – Water quality is so important, and the only way we can assure water quality is gathering data. And gathering this data could be a monumental task, but you guys turned it into something fun, educational, and useful. Kind of tell us about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, before before this program was started, the state of Colorado, they were, they were making these, these decisions on the, the water qualities without any data. Um, and you're completely right. I mean, the, the use of citizen science and community science has been so huge. Um, to be able to collect so much data across the state for 30 years, um, it kind of informs decision makers and, and the public on on how how these waters should be treated. Um, there was a clear data gap for so many years. Um, so, so this program and, and citizen science as a whole has been so huge. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you have about 7,000 volunteers that participate, but they're mostly high school students. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It's around 120 groups, and the groups vary so so widely in size. I mean, some like I, like you said, there's majority high schools. Um, you know, there's there's watershed groups, trout unlimited groups, conservancies, um, and individuals. So yes, it's a it's a massive community, and, and with that, we're able to we have data from every single major watershed in the state. So, so what's the activities? What do they do? They go out and test the water. Do they te- how frequently? What do they look for? Kind of give us a little insight. Yeah. So each group um, they they test their local watershed once a month, um, and they they we give them a kit and all the resources and training. And they test for alkalinity, hardness, dissolved oxygen, temperature, pH. And they also collect uh, samples that we test for heavy metals in the water. Um, And twice a year at high flow and low flow, um, we test for nutrients as well. Um, And some groups, if they want, they can test for macroinvertebrates uh, to kind of determine the the physical health of their their watershed in addition to the, the 
chemical health. Now, and these, they're not out there to necessarily be judgmental. They're out there to gather, neutrally gather the data, but I'm sure that they draw some conclusions because when you see one river water compared to another, you wonder, is there mining tailings coming down? Is there agricultural things adding phosphorus? Have there been any surprising findings that we might know of? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So we don't analyze the data. We kind of empower them and we train them to make their own decisions on it, on, on what's healthy for their watershed. A lot of places are different. Like you said, I mean, it's, mining has been such a huge part of the state for so many years. Um, so places like, you know, Left Hand Creek in, in Lyons, Colorado, it's a huge mining area and, and their their pH is, is just notoriously low. Um, but, you know, there's no significant findings. Like I said, we don't analyze the data ourselves, um, but people kind of make decisions for themselves and we empower them to do that. And you've supplied this data to virtually different groups and scientific groups and environmental agencies. Really, it's available to anybody that would like the data. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a database. um, I'm sure I'll reference it a few times, but coloradoriverwatch.org is our website. Um, you can access the data there. You can, we have watershed reports on that website as well. Um, so, yes. And so now if uh, if somebody is listening to this and they said, wow, wouldn't that be great for my high school or my science class or to get involved? How does a school get involved? Is there training involved? What happens? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like I said, the website, you can go there and you you can sign up for a training. And in order for this program to work, um, we kind of pride ourselves on the quality of our data. Um, it's, you know, it's, so it's a pretty rigorous training. We require anyone that, jo- that wants to join, they have to attend a four-day training where we'll teach them everything A to Z about the program, um, how to test, how to collect, um, and then we'll, we'll kind of teach them how to inter- interpret their own data and determine, like I said, we empower them to kind of decide what is the health of their watershed themselves. And so, yes, there is a bit of a wait list um, for, for our program if they wanted to join. Um, but apart from that, I mean, I'm kind of advocating for citizen science in general as well. Um, another great resource if they wanted to get involved. Um, if you're just curious, you want to learn, you want to educate yourself, org. citizen science. It's it's just a great tool, and, and you can go to that website, and you, and you can join other um, other groups as well. Well, I'm going to make an editorial comment here. And, you know, we have, we have groups that promote for different things, whether it's our environment, our climate, our, our water. And the best way to make sure we're making good decisions is to understand the science. Because instead of making emotional decisions or thinking you know the answers, if you understand the science and getting young people interested in science is going to be one of the keys to really preserving our future. I, I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that's one of the more powerful parts of this program is we're able to get these kids, these high school students out into the environment. You know, they're learning all this chemistry and, you know, math, science, whatever it is. And I remember growing up for me, especially when I'm able to apply what I'm learning in the classroom and, and apply it to a real life, you know, science-based um, project. It's it's pretty empowering, and it, you know, there's there's tons of success stories that come for this. But one of, one of my favorites is when a student they tell me, you know, 
man, I love this program so much. I want to be an aquatic biologist. I want to study that in college. It's, it's pretty special to, to kind of have those experiences with these young kids. Well, we're out of time, but if people want to know more about the program or more about your data, tell them again where they can find that information. Absolutely. It's coloradoriverwatch.org. coloradoriverwatch.org is our website. And you can find us on many social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and I, I do want to plug the other website again quickly, sitsci.org, C-I-T-S-C-I.org, if they wanted to get involved in any other citizen science programs. All right. Bradley, just all great stuff, all important to the outdoors and maintaining the resources the outdoor community needs and the people who live on this planet need. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate the time, Terry. Take care. You bet. That's uh, Bradley from Colorado Parks and Life. Wildlife. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Jack's Outdoors. You know, if you're going outdoors, you need something. They say Jack's has got it. You know, we don't have time to listen to Dire Straits. We need to talk to Austin. You're listening to uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Not that I don't like you, Austin, but... I, uh, I do love dire straits, but I want to get to you in a fishing report. <laughs> Joining us, uh, as he does quite often, one of our favorite contributors, Guy to Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. You know, a couple things, and we're going to do a lot of this over the next hour over different segments, but a lot of people are getting out fishing uh, this weekend and next week. Uh, as you know, the whole industry has been going crazy with people getting out. And I think a lot of people are heading out maybe for the first time. And I think a lot of them are heading up in the mountains for the long weekends and vacations that are coming up right now. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about maybe some fishing opportunities. What are you seeing out there? And maybe a, a less experienced angler or somebody who's just heading out. Where are some of the places? Let's start with the mountains. Where might you head? Absolutely. So there's lots of good options up there. And, and the runoff is starting to come down right now as well, which we'll get to. But coming up, especially as we're dealing with some holiday weekends here, I prefer to get a little bit further away from home. Um, and one of my favorite destinations this time of year is State Forest State Park. So up uh, east of Walden and west of Fort Collins, uh, it boasts some great fishing up there and uh, some easier-to-access reservoirs as well as higher elevation lakes that you can hike to. Uh, and that particular area up there can provide fantastic trout fishing for anyone looking to do anything from conventional fishing with bait all the way through small stream dry fly fishing. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. One of my favorites up there is uh, North Michigan Reservoir. In fact, if people go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, I've done both a shore fishing episode up there, and then I fished the river coming into it, the North Michigan River, with a fly rod. But uh, places like North Michigan Reservoirs, the shore fishing, not only for stock trout, but for holdover large trout, can be phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah, there's beautiful rainbows up in there. And then uh, there's fantastic populations of cutthroats as you move up into the higher elevation lakes. And then the other thing that that whole area boasts is slipping down toward the, the Walden area, getting into your small meadow type fly fishing situations, as well as trophy trout fishing at places like Delaney Buttes. Yeah, it really does offer a lot of variety. And I heard in the North Park area, a couple of the Delaney's are producing quite a bit of bite uh, action, and a couple others are slower, but with just huge monster fish. I mean, five, six, seven, eight pound, both rainbows and browns. So it's fantastic. It just, there's so many opportunities. Before we spend a little more time on the rivers, if you're a fairly inexperienced angler and you're approaching some of these mountain lakes, 
what kind of gear do you need and what would you use for your presentation? So to start with, a lot of people right now are getting out for the first time maybe in a, a few years or the first time ever. And I want to make sure that, that everyone's thinking about the line that they have on their rod. So making sure that you are changing out your line, getting some fresh line, uh, and, and, and switching that out is definitely going to help to increase the enjoyability of your experience, certainly. Now, the, there's a couple of different rigs that you can fish with. So you can start by just throwing some simple lures, so things like Castmasters, uh, spinners like a Blue Fox Vibrax I like a lot, or a Tasmanian Devil Spoon. All can be casted and retrieved back uh, with a large degree of success. Additionally, you can fish a bait rig as well. So you can do something like a, a simple Carolina rig, meaning that you have a sliding slip sinker that is then uh, meeting a swivel, a section of leader is then tied onto the back of that swivel, and then you put a hook on the end, and you can bait that hook with anything from some floating power bait or some salmon eggs or even a night crawler. And then you can fish that also in conjunction with lure rods as long as you make sure you have a second rod stamp on your license. No, those are all great ways. And, you know, sometimes just a simple spinner or spoon and walking along the shore of these places can be so effective, and you'll catch trout and have fun. But I tell you what, if you just want to, you know, get your – family together and put some line in the water the power bait thing will catch fish almost anywhere where they stock trout and you can just be have a good time be picnicking watching your rod it, it you can make the experience whatever you want it to be now we have about three four minutes left we've talked over the last few weeks about what's going on in the rivers the runoff had been significantly high and the fly fishing had been difficult in some areas i'm really hearing that the river fishing whether conventional or fly that the rivers are really settling down and fishing well is that what you're hearing absolutely so i was looking uh, on a few different uh, bodies of water on the colorado division of water resources this morning and still noticing that there was uh, some runoff coming down slightly but it certainly is settling down uh, by a, a huge degree now, something to also consider, a lot of people are thinking about hitting Deckers right now, and Deckers is still flowing quite low at the moment. We're only dealing with 75 CFS at Deckers, so maybe slipping into some of the more of your freestone rivers that have not been seeing a lot of pressure as of late can be really productive. So places like the Colorado River or the Eagle can be really effective. Uh, slipping down to the Roaring Fork Valley also is, is very worthwhile. And something to consider as well during runoff right now, Trying to hit it a little bit earlier in the morning a lot of times will give you more clear conditions. You still have some smaller streams that, as the, the, the day progresses, will have some snow melt and come down and, and, and dirty your water a bit. So moving up onto your river on the drainage as well as hitting it early is going to be a, a good deal. But then we're also seeing fantastic bug life in these freestone rivers right now. And PMDs are beginning to come off, but lots of caddis activity at the moment. And then I love stoneflies on nymph rigs this time of year as well, particularly if there's a bit of off-color water still. Well, in the stonefly, if you're off-colored, it's a bigger presentation, and you can do a dropper behind it if you want. It's easier for the fish Definitely. to find and easier for old guys like me to see. Another thing that will come into its own here real soon is going to be the hopper droppers. I think we're having a great year for grasshoppers, and that's always a great one for fly fishermen, especially if you are you know can't make that delicate cast quite so well. It can be oh, so yeah. productive especially on smaller streams as well, but amid the small size hopper and then a nice bead head nymph like a copper john or a pheasant tail down below is one of my absolute favorite and most deadly combinations as we move all the way through the summer, all the way until fall. Oh, you're absolutely right. couple minutes, minute and a half left. So let's head out east. What are you hearing? Anything in particular that it's just hot, that the people are headed to the east, they should try fishing? 
So Sterling has been losing water really fast right now. So we're seeing about a foot of water drop a day from what I've been hearing, and fishing has been a bit more slow out there. The trolling bite at Jumbo is starting to pick up uh, pretty well. Bar Lake has a bit of an algae bloom at the moment, but still some good fishing is being had out there. Have not heard much on the Jackson Lake area, but still hearing that John Martin is producing, although the, the heat down there certainly is a bit more oppressive than other places in the state. But John Martin is uh, a place that, that could be quite effective at the moment and still seeing lots of white bass and, and saw guys down there. Uh, not quite like we were earlier in the season, but action has still been pretty hot. Austin, we've got to run. If somebody's interested in your guide service, you do guide trips right in the metro area and other places too, and you always have lots of information, how do they find you? You can find me at Discount Fishing Tackle. I'm at uh, 2645 South Santa Fe Drive. All right, my friend, thank you for that great update. I hope we can help some people have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Austin Parr, always uh, Austin Parr, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. And then one of our favorite contributors, I think that, he may be our longest continuous contributor to the show. I'll ask him about that when we get back on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.